Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're almost done with the chapter. Uh, we, Lord willing, we will have two more Wednesday nights in this. And then we will be starting uh, towards the end of September here. Um, a series on Wednesday nights, training. Uh, and the whole purpose is to try to do uh, some training for uh, service as far as teaching people philosophy of ministry and methods of ministry, how we go about doing some things. Lord willing, in the next year, uh, the Lord will allow us to grow the ministry by adding uh, perhaps a Sunday school class or two and uh, perhaps uh, maybe uh, get as far as even uh, launching a bus ministry or something of that nature. Uh, certainly we will be starting a visitation program come January and start going out and visiting folks and uh, want to be praying towards those ends. But we want to make sure that as we come into that new year, we're getting ready to start going out and trying to reach people in our community. We want to make sure that we know how to go about it from a biblical perspective. And I've, I've been in two different Bible colleges uh, and one Bible institute uh, over the years. And um, there are a lot of different things that they teach you about how to go about winning someone to Christ, how about sharing the gospel. And I'll be real frank with you, a lot of the classes that I was taught were man's methods. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And uh, it took a long time for me in ministry to realize that there's no improving on God's way of doing it. And so when we come to uh, the training time, and the Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that God gave some uh, apostles and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And the, the, the goal, the purpose of these Wednesday night classes will be uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the training, the equipping, um, providing that which may be lacking to help us. Uh, because it's one thing for us to have a zeal and an excitement to go reach people with the gospel. It's another thing entirely if we're not well trained and we're not well equipped. It's interesting to me that Christ chose 12 disciples when he called the first few. He told them that they would be fishers of men. And then he spends three years training them before he ever sent them. And they were walking along with him. It wasn't meaning that they didn't ever do any work. But he didn't give the Great Commission until he was ready to ascend back into heaven, did he? And so he spent all that time getting his disciples ready and showing them and teaching them and training them from uh, biblical pers- perspective and biblical principle uh, how we go about doing the work of the Lord. And so we're going to take some time, probably five or six weeks leading into the, the uh, holiday season of uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that sort of thing. We'll try to end early to mid-November on that, uh, perhaps and so I want you to be praying for that and invite some of our church members to come, especially if you see folks that come on Sunday morning a lot. Um, it's amazing how many people will not get involved in doing work for the Lord, maybe teaching a Sunday school class or uh, helping in the nursery, because they just don't know how. Maybe talking to somebody about the Lord, going out and visiting. And uh, it, a lot of times it's just because they don't know how to do it or what to do. And so we're going we're gonna to do it from a scriptural, very, very biblical method. And I want you to uh, pray for that series and then also be a part of that, if you will. And that will be coming up here, Lord willing, in the three Wednesday nights from tonight. We'll, we'll hopefully finish this chapter in two weeks. Uh, maybe have to go a third week, depending on if we get through the material or not. And uh, I don't want to rush it. There's so much in this, this chapter uh, we certainly don't want to rush through it and miss something. And so there's, uh, we could have done double the time on this and still not exhausted it. I was listening to a preacher earlier uh, this week, and he made this statement. He said, the Word of God is like a deep mine. 
you go into it and it never ceases to end on yielding gems and nuggets of truth for you. And it doesn't matter how many times you've read Scripture. I don't care how long you've been saved. Uh, I don't care how long you've read Scripture. It seems like every time we come back to it and study it a little bit more, we learn a little bit more about it, don't we? It's a living book. And uh, certainly it's uh, uh, something that you cannot exhaust. It's very relevant for the day that we live in today. And I know a lot of uh, churches put an emphasis on relevancy and say, well, it's an old book. It's for an older time. The truth of the matter is it's exactly what's needed for our day and our time. And uh, the thing is we just need to study it and know it and then use it to share it with others. And uh, we learned at the beginning of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 that Timothy was being charged by the Apostle Paul to take the things that he had learned and to commit them to faithful men who are able to teach others also. And really, one of the goals that I have in pastoring is trying to uh, teach our people uh, how they can take the things that they've learned and go out and find somebody else and teach them. And it's not enough for us to simply learn from uh, from the pulpit uh, as we sit in the pews, but it also is important for us that we take what we've learned and we take it and we pass it on to someone else. And so we uh, I want to encourage you in that. Paul takes all this time in chapter 2 till we get to this place where we ended last week on the word study. And he lays, Paul is a master at this. He's, He's almost like a lawyer who's laying out the evidence before a jury. And then he draws a ironclad conclusion that cannot be refuted because he's laid out such a great groundwork before. And so he teaches Timothy about uh, enduring hardness as a good soldier, about running the race uh, and running it the right way and within the rules and striving for masteries. And he talks about the husbandman that laboreth and how that he won't be able to be partakers of the fruit unless he invests in the harvest and in the labor of it. And uh, he goes through all of this and then he talks about the identification with Christ in death and the fact that uh, that there was a great example of the Lord Jesus Christ who endured the cross even though he despised the shame of the cross, and he did it for the great joy that was set before him. And then how that Paul endured what he went through, and he used himself as a personal example or illustration, and he endured it, uh, and then he rejoices, and the joy that he got from it was that the gospel of Christ was uh, shed, uh, was spread, abro- spread abroad and was gone out without any hindrance. And so Paul's great joy was that the word of God was uh, was not hindered and it was able to go out. Last week we dealt with the issue of enduring all things and, and suffering and the idea of uh, suffering and reward, suffering and reward. And understand this, that, that the Christian life uh, has multiple benefits to it. But one of the responsibilities of the Christian life is that we worship the Lord our God. It, I think it's the highest priority of a Christian, that we love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. But the truth of the matter is we don't just stop there because the Bible not only teaches us that we ought to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and to make a matter of worship toward him, but it also quite extensively deals with the topic of serving the Lord, that there is effort involved. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he got to the end of his life, he said, I have finished my course. I have run. The, uh, I've run the race. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so he talks about even the effort that was put into it. He was running the race and he was striving for uh, these things. And he gets to the end of his life. He said, I've fought a good fight. And so it doesn't sound like this is Paul sitting back and just enjoying the the sweetness, the, the fragrance of worship with the Lord. 
He, he certainly had an, an element of that in his life because that is one of the high honors of the Christian life to be able to do that. But he also recognized the fact that God has given charge to his people to do his work, which is to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to share it with those that have never heard. And, and the Bible is, is uh, very, very extensive in this topic of service. And we've got to make sure that we understand that the Christian life, while it is a great thing that we can worship God in and we can rejoice in it and we can have great joy and great peace and great contentment, there will also come times that it's kind of difficult, isn't it? A farmer that reaps a harvest uh, gets out there and sweats a little bit sometimes, gets some blisters on his hands, doing the plowing and the planting and the watering, the cultivating and everything. And Jesus even said, and in his own earthly ministry, he said, lift up your eyes unto the hills, for they are wide already unto harvest. And he made this statement. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth worshipers. What is it? Laborers. There you go. It wasn't worshipers, was it? Does that mean worshiping's wrong? Oh, no, no. I think that's a high honor of the Christian life. I think our time spent alone with God is, is absolutely vital to our lifeblood of the Christian life. But once that's taken place in our hearts and our lives, then we got to labor. Then we get the privilege of doing something for God. And Paul is taking this, this part of the letter that he's writing to Timothy, and he's giving Timothy these challenges. And we get down here uh, to verse number 14 or so, and I want you to notice these things uh, in verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Now, I want you to understand that he's dealing here uh, before verse number 15 and then shortly after verse number 15, actually even in verse 16. But four different times in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, Paul addresses this topic of vain words or words that are of no profit. And it is possible, in fact, in another place, it deals with the idea that we not uh, uh, emphasize or spend a lot of time on endless genealogies. Let me ask you a question. Are genealogies important? Yes or no? They, absolutely they are. They're in Scripture. They wouldn't be in Scripture if they weren't important. But are they something that become the main thing that we ought to be focusing on and spending all of our time discussing and, and debating? No, we shouldn't be taking all of that time. I love, I love prophecy. I think prophecy is a powerful tool in a Christian's life. It strengthens our faith. And if nothing else, it motivates us to service, which I think is one of the great, great benefits of prophecy. But I've known people that have made their entire ministry about nothing but prophecy. And there's a, there's an imbalance there. There's, there's a problem with uh, spending too much time on one specific thing of Scripture and not dealing with the whole counsel of God. And I think you've got to understand these things. And I think Paul's trying to tell Timothy, listen, there's going to come some times that people are going to try to get you tripped up or they're going to try to get you involved in words of no profit. They're not going to benefit anything in, in light of eternity. And you've got to be careful of these things, Timothy, that you not get wrapped up in them. It's not that you don't deal with them. It's not that you don't address them. You, don't, you just don't convert all of your time and energy into that topic. And so he tells them here in verse number 14, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they, look at the word here, that they what? Strive not. You see it? Look in verse 14. Everybody, everybody with me here? Okay, let's look at it. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not. You see it? 
They strive not. So this is not the main focus of their life. These are not things to be battled over. These are not things to be fought over. These are not things to be debated. They're important. That's fine. We deal with them. We discuss them. We move on. But we deal with the most important things. There are false teachers, and, Christ, and Paul writes about them in this chapter. There are false teachers that will do nothing but take things that are seemingly unimportant and make them the important things, and they'll take the important things and they'll downplay them and make them unimportant. And by the way, that's a philosophy of the world because that's what the world does, doesn't it? It takes the important things and makes them minor, and he takes the minor things and makes them important. It's worded this way in Scripture. Woe unto them that calleth evil good and good evil. And we live in that day and age, don't we? We've got to be careful of that and be cautious of that. So, with that in mind, and again, Paul is laying out the, the, the groundwork to make this emphatic statement. And I believe that all that we've studied from the first part of chapter 2 down to this point, all is hinged on this fulcrum, this, this center point of this verse. Because of all these things that Paul has laid out for Timothy, therefore... And he doesn't use the word therefore, but I believe you could actually easily put that in there and, and understand that everything that he's discussed here from verse number one down hinges on this point. Study. Study. Why do you study, Timothy? Well, let's look at the verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Man, there is so much in this verse. We're going to, if y'all believe in miracles, it will be a miracle if we get this verse done tonight. But we're going to go do our best. The first thing I want you to understand is the word study takes effort. Amen, Reagan? Amen. Amen, Jonathan? Studying takes effort, doesn't it? And those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. You've, you've either been there before or you've had kids there before. And when they come home at night and they have books, I say, do you have any homework? Oh, Dad, why is it that they do that? Because study is work. It's hard. It's not something we enjoy so much. When I was doing my uh, flight training, learning how to become a pilot for an airplane, there was a ton of studying. I mean, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of classroom time and study time. Way more uh, study time than there was flying time uh, that I spent studying these things and I told the kids when I was going through it, I said, I don't enjoy the studying for this. But I know that I get to fly an airplane when it's all over, and so it makes it worth it. Suffering, reward. Can we see how that all of this that Paul has taught up to this point ties in to this one word, study? Why do we study? It's hard work. It's laborious. Because there's a reward from it. There's a reward that comes from studying. You say, Brother Greg, where's the reward? Well, look what it says. Study to show thyself. What's the reward here? Approved unto God. And by the way, let me just time out here for a minute. That's the only approval we need. We don't need man's approval. We need God's approval. And in fact, we ought not seek for man's approval. The Bible's very clear about that. I'm not out to make people mad. I'm not out to hurt somebody or cause somebody to be offended by me. But if they don't agree with what I teach from Scripture, and I know that it's the truth of the Word of God, they're just going to have to not like it. I'm not trying to be incendiary or harsh on them. But the truth of the matter is, there's, there's only one person that I'm trying to uh, uh, get approval from, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we study... We get hard work, suffering, if you will, laboring, 
And then we get reward. And reward is the approval of God. We study to show ourselves approved unto God. And I want you to notice this. What's the next word? A workman. Oh, there it is. There's that old dirty four-letter word that we don't like to hear very much, do we? Work, work, work. The workman. A man that will labor, that will put his shoulder to the task. We study so that we're able and skilled to do work. Um, I don't know what all of y'all do uh, or did for a living. I do know Brother David Rector because he and I are friends. He does sheet metal work. And uh, I do, I'll tell you right now, if I walked into where his place of employment is, and I told them I wanted a job, and they said, what experience do you have? And I said, none. I've never worked with sheet metal before. You think they'd hire me? I'd be out of work, wouldn't I? I'd be on in the unemployment line. Why? Because I'm not prepared to do that task. And so Paul tells Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, and you won't be the workman that God intends for you to be if you don't take the time preparing and studying and sharpening the axe, if you will. Hold your finger here for just a minute. Turn with me. And this isn't part of the message. It just I think we ought to look at this tonight. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. Ecclesiastes. And if you're wondering where that's at, go to Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes. And so it's kind of right in that psalm area. Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. And I want you to look at this very quickly. I, I, was, uh, I was in Bible college and I was frustrated because I felt like there was so much work of God to be done. And here I am wasting my time at Bible college. I mean, I was raised in a pastor's home. I was raised in church and I shouldn't have to go to Bible college. And I remember a second year student. I was a, a sophomore in college. And uh, I mean, I, you know how it is when you're that age. You know everything, right? It's amazing how much you forget as you get older, but you know everything back then, or you think you do. And I just, I mean, I was ready to just say, you know what, I'm done with college. I, there's too much work for the Lord to be done. I'm wasting my time here. And I, I went to a class one morning, a 7 o'clock class, and uh, the um, the professor, Mike Cam, got up and he said, uh, he always gave a verse of Scripture and a challenge for the day before he got into the class time. And he said, fellas, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 10.10. And he showed me something that completely changed my view of Bible college. He said in verse number 10, 10, look what the Bible says here. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. And he made this statement, and I think I shared it with some of you folks uh, Sunday on this. You might get out to the woods later in the day. But by the end of the day, you will have accomplished far more than those that didn't sharpen their axe. He said, time spent sharpening your axe is never wasted. I hope and I pray that God will allow our church, if he sees fit and he deems fit to give an increase here, I hope and I pray that God will use our church to reach our community with the gospel in a mighty way. But can I say this? If the axe is dull, we we'll have to put two more strength. Study, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Now, let's look what it says here as we get to uh, verse number 15. Uh, the Bible says that we ought to be a workman that needeth not 
to be ashamed. Now, this ties in with getting God's approval. Who would we be ashamed in front of? Men? No, be ashamed before God, wouldn't we? Uh, a man by the name of F.B. Meyer years ago wrote this. He said, the one anxiety with us all should be to stand approved before God. We must hold a straight course in the word of truth. Our testimony should resemble an undeviating furrow. Those of you that farm or know much about farming, uh, I've never been a farmer, but I've heard a lot about it. I've read a lot about it. But back when they had the single plow, the single blade plows, some of y'all might have run some of those. How many of y'all ran some of those when you were younger? And they'd want you to run a straight furrow, didn't they? I heard old Jerry Clower say one time that corn will grow just as good in a crooked row as it will a straight row. He didn't understand that. But it, there was there was something about having straight furrows, wasn't it? They always wouldn't want you to do a straight furrow. And I, I heard, now I don't know this again, I, I used it when I would mow grass, but I'd never plowed this way before. But I heard that if you'd fix your eyes on a point at the end of the field and not take your eyes off of it, by the time you got to the end of the furrow, you could look back and that thing would be as straight as an arrow. And the, the whole idea here is that we live in such a way that no one could put us to shame when it comes to the matters of our relationship or our testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would plow a straight furrow in the Christian life. That we would hold the truth without wavering. Without moving to the right or to the left. I told some teenagers one time years ago, I was having an issue with teaching them some scripture, and yet they would go home and they wouldn't put into practice the things that we had taught from Scripture because their mom and dad would allow them to do otherwise. And they didn't see the difficulty there because they're, in their minds, if mom and dad allowed it, then it must be okay. And I wasn't trying to get them to go against mom and dad. That wasn't the issue at all. I wasn't trying to say, hey, be rebellious to mom and dad. I just simply made this statement. We ought not live our lives by what we are allowed to do but by the principles and truths of the Word of God. We ought not live our lives by what we are allowed to do, but by the principle and truths of the, of the Word of God. Because the truth of the matter is, our society as a whole allows us to do a lot of things that are contrary to God's Word, don't they? Sadly, they allow us to kill millions of babies every year. And it's looked at as acceptable in society. And then you get somebody who stands up and says, don't murder babies, and they look at that person as deviant, don't they? They tell you that it's okay for two men or two women to get together. And yet, that's not according to Scripture. And so what Paul is trying to express here is he's talking to Timothy, is study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And the idea behind it is that we, when it comes to our testimony, our time spent with the Lord and, and serving the Lord, that it be unwavering, that we not drift to the right or we don't drift to the left. And the truth of the matter is, it's very easy for us to do that, isn't it? Very easy for us to, to, to get our eyes off of the focus. So let me ask you the question, where should our focus be then? Where should it be? <laughs> the ceiling? <laughs> supposed to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what about Him? His example, wouldn't it? Are we ever going to become fully like Christ in this earth? No, we never will. Should that mean that we don't try? No, we're to strive for it. 
Paul said, I, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. You know what the mark was? The mark was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the goal in the Apostle Paul's life. And he said, for that goal, I press, I stretch, I strain, I struggle. It's so much so that Paul said, I have to bring every, every thought into captivity every day. He said, I had to bring my life under control. And so Paul is telling Timothy here, he said, listen, you need to be approved of God. You need to be prepared and studied so you can be a workman. And don't, don't let it, don't live in such a way that you would be ashamed before God. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we did God's work in such a way that we embarrassed the cause of Christ through our lifestyle? Oh, the, the, the end justifies the means, somebody might say. Doesn't matter how you accomplish it. Doesn't matter that you are this way or that way in your life and your testimony. As long as you're doing something for the Lord, I, I beg to differ. The Bible teaches that we ought to be separated from these things. And that we ought to have a testimony that is right and pleasing and holy to the Lord. And then we serve with a clean testimony in front of a lost and dying world. Because I'll tell you right now, if the, if the testimony is dirty, if the, if the furrow is crooked... The world's going to be the first one to step all over that and say, I've got you now. I'm not listening to a thing he says because, boy, look, his life's in a mess. So we need to be well studied. By the way, when these people come to us with these vain words and words to no profit, if we're well studied, we kind of see those pretty quickly, don't we? We begin to have some discernment. To realize that this really shouldn't be a topic that we make a major thing right now. He goes on to say in verse number 15, rightly dividing. The word that was used here in the original language was a word that meant rightly cutting. And it was a surgical term, it was a medical term. And it meant to cut straight and to cut true. The idea of dissecting something. Getting to the point where uh, you, you take it and you lay it open layer by layer. And you begin to dissect open this thing. And the whole idea of rightly dividing the word of truth. And I think this is so important uh, when it comes to the Christian life. When we come to the word of God, we ought not to just get our Bible reading schedule out. I, I love Bible reading schedules. I think they help keep you on target and on track and on point. But sometimes we get into our Bible reading schedules and we read our passage just so we can check our, our check mark off. And we don't rightly divide the word of truth. I think if you, if you read like that, I don't think it's a wrong thing to do. I just don't think it's enough. If you read like that, then, then have another time that you set aside and say, you know what, I'm going to read five verses. And I'm going to pull out a dictionary and I'm going to make sure I understand all these words. And I'm going to keep a little journal here. I'm going to write down some things that the Lord shows me from this verse. And if I, if God calls to mind a, a verse that sounds like that or has a truth that's similar to that or ties in with that verse, I'm going to go look it up and I'm going to see what that verse has to say about it. And you begin to compare scripture with scripture. You begin to make sure that when we read these verses line upon line and precept upon precept, that we fully understand, at least to the best that we are able to with the Holy Spirit's guidance and leading, that we fully understand the truth of the matter. That doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. We're still human. But we ought to be well studied in these things. 
If someone comes and asks us of the reason of the hope that's within us, the Bible says we ought to be ready to give an answer to every man. We ought not ever be embarrassed if somebody comes and asks us, well, are you a Christian? I've heard people, I've been out with people in mealtime and, or around town, and somebody comes and say, boy, you must be a Christian. And they start stammering and stuttering and getting all red in the face and nervous. And I thought, Why? We serve the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And I'll tell you what, I may not know all the answers, but you know what? You're welcome to ask me anything. If I don't know it, I'll go to the Bible and find out what the answer is. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Making sure we understand these things. And I want you to notice lastly, the last phrase that's used in this verse, the word of truth. The word that's given here is, is a word of truth. These are not man's truths. In fact, Paul said he didn't come to people in man's wisdom, but he came in the power of the gospel, the power of God's word. When we give an answer to people, when we are working and doing God's work, let's not use our personal arguments. Let's not use our own logic and reasoning and thinking to try to to try to convince folks. Let's just give them the truth of God's word and let God's word which is, by the way, still quick and powerful and still stronger than any two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will still pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Let's let God's work do its work. But we've got to be well studied. We've got to know Scripture. Let me help you with a little secret here, and this is going to be profound. Are you ready? In order to know Scripture, you have to read it. You have to read it. It's simple. And I say this all the time because a lot of the Christian life is simple. But it's hard. It's hard. It takes effort. Figuratively speaking, (laughs) we come home from school and we don't feel like sitting down and doing our homework in our lives, do we? Not so much. If the Lord says, Greg, do you have homework tonight? Oh. But it's profitable, isn't it? In order to get the great joy of God's approval, are we willing to endure the studying? In order to be counted worthy to be a workman, that needeth not to be ashamed, are we willing to live a life above reproach that we do not embarrass the cause of Christ? It's simple, but it's hard. We'll pick up there next week. Verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. And just want to leave you with one thought on that, and then we'll pick up there next week and delve into those verses. If you're well studied, you'll have discernment in these matters. These false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, you only hear of Hymenaeus one other time in 1 Timothy. And Paul literally turned him and one other man, Alexander, over to Satan because of their actions. That's how, that's how vile these men were. And Philetus, you don't hear anything else about Philetus other than right here. But these two men's words, these false teachers, their words began to eat as did a canker. And it was about to overthrow the faith of some. 
the importance of being well studied. Is it important? (laughs) Yes, it is. To undergird, to edify, to build up, to strengthen the brethren. You say, well, that's just the pastor's job. Oh, no. No. That's every Christian's job. To be well-versed in Scripture. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I hope it will be a help to us as we look forward to this week. Probably not the best message we wanted to hear, but needful. It's needful. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word, how it instructs and guides us and teaches us. Father, this is a hard subject tonight. One that's not pleasant, I'm afraid, in our lives many times. But, Lord, it is so needed. How often can we not give an answer? Lord, we may know all of the basketball statistics of our favorite team or football or volleyball or basketball. We may know all the information about some hobby that we love to do. We've spent years sometimes studying and learning and perfecting the knowledge of those topics. And yet as a Christian, many times we find ourselves years after being saved, still feeding on the milk of the Word. Because we've lacked this Christian grace of studying and understanding the truth and the principles of your word. Lord, may we spend time over these next several months sharpening our axe. That we would wet the edge of the iron. That we can be profitable servants for you. And Father, we pray that you would help each and every one of us to recommit and redouble our efforts once again to doing all that we can to be prepared when you choose to use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.